From talkradio.nyc, welcome to At Home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and owner of David Thiergartner Interiors right here in beautiful Manhattan. On tonight's show, Geometry of Design. My guest tonight, furniture designer David Corey from KGBL Modern Luxury Furniture. David and his partners have produced a line of furniture dedicated to the furniture aficionado and anyone else who is simply searching for what is best in furniture design. They produce pieces that incorporate unique materials. We're going to talk about that. And have developed and created a collection not seen by anyone else on the market today or for that matter, in my opinion, in furniture design analogs. Their credo is, unless it brings something new to the bigger design conversation, it is not worthy of the collection. And that is exactly why I'm excited to talk to David tonight. I want to have that bigger design conversation with one of the finest contemporary furniture designer in the world today. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. In its simplest form, geometry is the mathematical study of shapes and lines and points. Geometry of design is the conversation between them, about them, and the space they occupy. Geometry can also deal with flat two-dimensional spaces such as squares and circles, or as an interior designer, how we would deal with walls and windows. And geometry can deal with three-dimensional shapes, shapes that have depth and volume, such as a cube or a sphere. And of course, you know, our conversation tonight, furniture. Furniture that responds not only to mathematical constructs, but more importantly, to the infinite relationship of unique shapes and spaces, three-dimensional forms, and the volumes that we all share together. In the world of design, interior design, furniture design, the geometry of space is the organization of that shape that lies within the normal range of the human experience at home. That interconnection between a form, an object, and the volume of space of which it occupies. Shapes, all shapes, the diversity of shapes, the combination of shapes, the use and function of shapes is what makes interior design a form of what I like to call home geometry. For instance, chairs come in a thousand different shapes and sizes. Sometimes in today's world, the possibilities are endless, but that's not the point. Home geometry is about the silhouette, the line, the points that connect that line and how that profile of that piece relates to another how one shape of furniture forms a relationship to another, and ultimately how all of those furniture shapes occupy the space in the room that they share. I have many reasons to be excited to talk to furniture design David Corey tonight, but most importantly, David and his partners have taken the basic geometric concepts And I will list them out for all of us right now. Points, lines, planes, surfaces, angles, and curves. They have taken them into a quality of furniture, a quality of furniture design that has had no predecessor before. Take, for instance, the geometric concept of points. Points on a line that tell a visual story, that builds a a furniture collection, that creates a well-designed interior. Or the geometric concepts of lines, lines like their Angot club chair, the degree in which the line of the back of the chair connects in a V-shape to the arm. Or take, for instance, the concepts of planes and of surfaces, like the surface of their Blackburn coffee table, 
we, we posted a picture on Instagram, so take a look at that. But it's this flat surface that flares ever so gracefully upward like the wings of a magnificent bird or of the geometric plane. And that's what I love so much about G KGBL furniture is that it tends to be lighter in its overall form something that I want to talk to David about. Their pieces float above the plane of the floor. Oh, and what about a solid such as the Overlean console, which is a figured piece of marble, magically suspended by a simple chic metal frame. And, you know, the list goes on. So what about angles? Like they have a sculptural bronze leg on their Johansson dresser, and of course, the gentle sweep of a sofa arm the voluptuousness of an upholstered ottoman, and the curves and conical shapes of the DeMarco dining room table base. So I want to do some homework tonight. While you're listening to David and me talk, take a look at the furniture in your living room, the furniture in your bedroom, and see their shapes. See the weight of one and the lightness of the other. See how one piece relates to the other, how the sofa fills the capacity of the room differently than the table, how the shape of your favorite chair looks in comparison to the chair across the room. Does the height and depth of a cabinet or a bookcase relate to the height of the windows or the doorway opening or the ceiling for that matter? And how does your collection of furniture occupy the space in the room? Are you happy with it? Do you like it? What about those lines? What about those angles and those curves? And so, you got to ask yourself, what is the geometry of your design? When we come back, my conversation with furniture designer David Corey. This is At Home. I'm David Thiergartner, and we'll be back in two minutes. Why anybody can have a brain? That's a very mediocre commodity. Every pusillanimous creature that crawls on the earth or slinks through slimy seas has a brain. Back where I come from, we have universities, seats of great learning, where men go to become great thinkers. And when they come out, they think deep thoughts and with no more brains than you have. But they have one thing you haven't got, a diploma. Therefore, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Universitatis Comitiatum e Pluribus Unum, I hereby confer upon you the honorary degree of THD. <laughs> THD? Yeah, that's Doctor of Thinkology. The sum of the square roots of any two sides of an isosceles triangle is equal to the square root of the remaining side. Oh, George, that's I've got a brain. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or intrapreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show. Follow, Follow Me Friday, Friday with Joan and Priya. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern on talkradio.nyc. We're, We're your digital, digital connectors. connectors. Woo woo! <laughs> <laughs> Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day.
My guest tonight, furniture designer and co-founder of KGBL Furniture, David Corey. David, welcome to At Home. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, you know, we start almost every single show. I'm not going to say almost every because we do. We start every show with the same question, which is what is your definition of beauty? And maybe more specifically, what is beautiful in your home? Oh, two questions. Um, I think the definition of beauty, I was thinking about this. And I think, I think beauty and maybe ugliness share something in that it's always about something you can't look away from. And I think for me, when I find something that's really beautiful, I can't stop looking at it. And I, I mean, that's, that's true. You know, that could also be true of a car wreck, I guess, which is, but it's, <laughs> it's the ugly side of that. Yeah. But I think it's really about something that you can't stop trying to understand because I think a lot of times beauty is so hard to comprehend. You don't know why something is beautiful. You just know it is. It's so visceral. So I think it's really a lot about, about the process of understanding why you find it beautiful. And it could be symmetry. It could be, you know, it could be, I don't know. It could be so many different things. But I think it's just about that quality of obsession. I mean, honestly, that's one of the points of the question, asking it in the first place, right. is trying to define exactly what it is that you're speaking of, right? So maybe it is symmetry, great, or maybe it is a color, great, or maybe it is the way that the wildflowers you know, move that you find so stimulating. It doesn't yes. matter, right. but I think what does matter is that we recognize it yes. and we understand what it is and we go back to it so that we get the same initial reaction to it. And I think a lot of times you probably don't ever know exactly why, which is part of what beauty is. It's kind of an unknown. But and there's a learning thing that needs to happen sometimes with that. Definitely. Yeah, which definitely. is exciting. Yes. Not to stomp all over your questions. Thank you. It was beautiful. <laughs> but you got me excited to talk about it. Um, it's one of my favorite things. Tell me what's spectacular or beautiful in your home. Um, okay, there are a couple of things that I'm kind of nice. that I, I, I've always loved. I have a tray um, that I bought from Moss, which doesn't exist anymore, which used to be in Soho. Yes. And it was, I can't remember the designer's name. It's Italian. It was designed in 1960. And it's, it's a stainless steel tray that has like wings on it. And it's not very large. Um, and I was so obsessed with it. And then my sister bought it for me as a birthday gift. And it's just, I've had it for like 17 or 18 years. And every time I look at it, I just, it's just so beautiful. It's just like perfection in everything about it. Just the form is just so perfect um sweet so that's one thing that i would say is really perfect i also have i have an icon um that belonged to my great-grandfather um of saint george slaying the dragon and it was my family was living in san francisco at the time of the earthquake in 1906 and it was the only thing that they saved um from the fire and when my grandmother passed away, she um, she gave it to me. Well, obviously before she passed away. <laughs> um, but anyway, I actually I figured out a way to hang it. I have like a, a chrome canopy bed, and I hung it over the bed with like devised this really elaborate leather cord thing, so it hangs over my bed, and it's it's really beat up, and it's almost hard to discern the image of Saint George on it. But it's I, I took it and had it looked at once, and it's from like the 18th century, and it's just. It's something that's always, I mean, partially it gives me joy because of, of the, the, you know, the provenance, I guess. But partially it's just really beautiful. It's painted on a one-inch thick piece of wood by some monks somewhere, God knows where, like a few hundred years ago. And it's just kind of like the most, it's my most prized possession. I love it. That is, could be top, top answer of all. So that's great. It sounds exciting. I'd love to see it. And, um, and uh, you know, there's a whole nother... Uh, way of looking at things is family heirlooms and their meaning and then how they just in their meaning become beautiful. But that's a whole conversation for another time. Yes. I got to ask you straight out, why furniture, right? Furniture right. design instead of, I don't know, auto design or theatrical set design, for instance. Why sure. furniture? That's a good question. Um, I went to school for architecture. Um, I think... Columbia, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think... I know what I know the answer to that. It's it has to do with instant gratification. I found oh like my. after a few years of architecture, just there's a it's a very long process. There's a lot of compromise. 
there's a lot of iterations of whatever you do. And at a certain point, I just wanted something that felt like it was born whole. And it was entirely me and no one else had really had a part in it. So for good or for bad, it was my baby. So I think there's, it was just so, I got so much pleasure out of seeing something that was, didn't have, didn't have 10 critiques and didn't take a year and a half to complete. And I, I think it's just my own impatience probably <laughs> that led me to it. I mean, I love it. I get it. And, you know, we can have a whole other show about, you know, I have a project in San Francisco that's three years old or, you know, any of my projects that go on forever and my initial creative thought and waiting two years to see it come to fruition. That's a whole other show. But you, but I get all of that. But you could do that with ceramics, too. And you can do you that could. with, you know, a, a painting. So, you again, could. now, why I, furniture? <laughs> I think part of it is that if you were doing ceramics or painting, you'd actually have to physically do it yourself. And I'm like the most unhandy person on oh, the planet. My God. Okay. So I have to do something that I can give to someone else to actually implement. Because Fantastic. I'm like, I can't even put a screw in straight. So it had to be something that I could, you know, reasonably give hand off to someone else to to actually fabricate. Um, so I think that was probably part of the reason. Also, it's like I find that I can only I can think very well three dimensionally when it comes to furniture. But like for instance, say graphic design, I have absolutely zero talent in it. I don't know. I so two dimensionally, you don't feel you're very talented. I, at. I think I'm horribly untalented. Uh, so this conversation of geometry and design is really quite good. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I tried designing carpets for someone, and I couldn't do it. I could not think two dimensionally. When when I'm designing three dimensionally, I know when I've arrived at something. When I d design two dimensionally, everything seems equally good or bad, and there's no inner voice that tells me, okay, this is done. It just can go on forever. It's so fascinating because I don't think that I ever thought that way. I don't think that I get the choice, honestly, right? I mean, I, I have to do what I have to do for the space. Right. But you don't. You get to decide what you, <laughs> what you want to decide. You're very fortunate clever that way. Me. So, you know, I usually ask because I think talented people, creative people, brilliant people, and I think that you're in all of those categories. You know, we always come from something. We always come from something in our childhood. Did you, you never push furniture around? You never, like, took a woodshop class in mm. junior high school? No, the only thing I did was I just redoing my bedroom over and over. Oh, I did that as too. a kid. Yeah, did you? Um, yeah, it was like my first. What, what was your best one? <laughs> my first you... project was I had a cousin who laid carpet. It, and he gave me a ton of remnants and I, I developed a pattern and I spent days cutting out pieces of carpet and doing my whole bedroom floor in like a bunch of really hideous shag carpets <laughs> from like the 70s and that was I was so proud of myself when it was done and it was truly ugly it was like oh, orange and teal and every totally other color but that was that. my first real project did it have real shapes to it or was it pieces yeah no that it you was connected? kind of overlapping it was overlapping circles and um, it Sweet. was like, yeah, it was actually, I have to say, I was oh, like, that's pretty good. I probably couldn't do Were it you now. 12? Yeah, probably maybe, maybe 13. Okay. You know, I was, yeah, I was able to use a staple, like a, a staple thing that you use for carpet where you use your knee to push the staples. Fantastic. And so I, I had to have as much strength to do that. Anyway. Oh my God. Oh my God. So let's see, how do we jump from that? Do you think that creative process that created the, what would you call it? The circle pattern. <laughs> Shag rug and orange and teal in 1975. Like 75, whatever. Yeah. 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 Can you can you say tell us how that manifests itself into your creative process now? What is your creative? Right. Where where does the where where does it happen? How does it happen? How do you think? I don't think are? I can draw a line from that to my you current can't. creative process, but I I can say with me, design always starts with. For me, I have to start like with an archetypal image. Like if I'm designing a chair, I usually draw the most archetypal silhouette Typical. of a chair. Like I, I mean, literally archetypal. Like it's just a you know like a stick drawing of something, and then I try mm -hmm. to look at that and see. Oh, I understand. Try to like, discover. I don't mean to sound touchy feely, but try to discover the essence of what it is, and then what can I do to make you think in a new way about this. That's always kind of how I approach design. Like, what can I do with this very known object that makes you maybe discover something about it that you didn't know before? So that's really always my starting point. And I find that the, the first thing is always to do 
literally a stick drawing of the most generic like five-year-old version of like a five-year-old five-year five-year-old kid's version of that of that object and so then uh, which is incredibly fascinating i'm so glad that i asked the question but so now take us through the <laughs> now day. you know i'm a freak well so. no 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 um take us through the day or how long does it take or what is that day like so now you have your stick right. figure can we or the right uh, well, you rarely are like sitting down and spending the day doing it. It's like you have a lot of, you know, you're running a business. So it's never like, it's like the 80-20 rule, but 80% of my time is spent doing things that aren't designed. But, but. Do, do other influence come into being of that, right? I mean, you're looking, you're searching, you're trying to basically make something new. Right. Right. You're trying to take an old functional item and turn it into a piece of art, theoretically. Right. And, or not theoretically, realistically. And then... And so what, how, where, where does that wheel go? Like you're walking down the street because right. you're going to go get lunch. Do you, you, know, um, do you see a car shape? You sure. know, does a Lamborghini go by? <laughs> it can be, it, this, the, the inspiration can come from a lot of things. Uh, for me, a lot of times inspiration has come from things that I thought I saw, but I didn't. Um, like you're looking at something in shadow, say an, a photograph, and you thought you saw something and you're like, oh, that's really cool. And you're like, oh, that's actually not what's there. And then you think, oh, but that would be cool. And that's kind of the genesis of, a, of an idea. Or, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, a lot of times, actually, a design can be material based. Like you find a material that just inspires you and you're like, what can I do with this? And so you design around that material. I think that's, I think for a lot of people that that can be a, a, a really important starting point. Like Michelangelo with a piece of marble in front sure. of him. Yeah. Sure. Like, you know, like you're somewhere and you see like some, like, you know, for instance, we have this, um, you know, I was going through a, a, a glass vendor's shop one day and I saw this amazing glass, this Pyrex material. And it was, it's an industrial material that's used for, I, I was told it was used for telescope lenses. And, but it was just, it was like this organic glass, which doesn't seem like an oxymoron, but it's, you know, it's a very, it's a very kind of organic looking material, but it's glass. And then it was like, what can we do with this? And then you kind of go from there. So there's, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that you can, that you find inspiration, but I don't think it's even like you're looking for it. It just kind of comes at you, you know? Yeah. Which is quite lovely and quite beautiful and quite nice. And, I, you know, I feel that sometimes, too, you know, um, just it kind of comes to you. It appears to be the correct thing at the correct moment. Sure. Um, but there's a sense of observation that goes on with that, that you're constantly you looking. To, you're yes. constantly searching. I, I refer to it a lot of times as the Rolodex in my head. If anybody remembers the old Rolodex, you know, you kind of used to flip through it. Sure. right? And, and then I would stop and you would. And I feel, I feel like creativity can be that sometimes. Sure. And you have to see relationships. Like, I mean, you know, for instance, I, I remember seeing one day like a bicycle seat and it was a molded leather seat and it was really basically no other structure other than the leather was, it was thick enough and it was formed in a way that was actually structural. And from that, we developed a whole series of furniture pieces based on molded leather, mm -hmm. which is this really low tech process of, of, of hides that are pushed or they're wet, they're wetted and then pushed into a mold and they kind of become this self-supporting um, frame. And, you know, just from seeing a bicycle seat because it was so beautiful. So, you know, you kind of have to be, you have to have your radar open for this, I think. Yeah, fantastic. I love it. Um, so, you know, in the mid-century, let's say mid-century furniture design, mid-century style, now they used to, you know, one of their main motivations, the goal was functionality, right? Right. They were, they were trying to take that same... Uh, typical stick figure of a chair and then make it more functional. But you, in what you're describing to us tonight, you're really saying that you're more interested in what the form looks like. Mm -hmm. So then what's the process of turning it into the proper proportions, the proper scale, the comfort level, the need of what the chair needs to be? Because I don't want to say that it's backwards, but what we're used to or what we're taught in school, it is sort of coming from the other way. Right. I mean, I won't pretend that I'm not kind of obsessed with the beauty of an object. I mean, I'm all, my friends make fun that I'm like, you know, it, it's really much more about I, if something is beautiful, I can convince myself that it's comfortable, even if it's incredibly uncomfortable. Like the furniture in my house will attest to that. Okay, I, so have, you need I have a sofa else. that's nine inches off the floor that my mom complains about every time she comes over. Because <laughs> she can't get up. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that's your house, so that's okay. Right. <laughs> but you can't sell that. <laughs> no, but I think it's, it's really, I, for me, it's like there's kind of a, 
there's a process where you just know when you've arrived at something. And I don't know how else to describe it except that you kind of know when you're done designing like something will just nag at you that it's not right and you know a lot of times you can spend hours and hours working on something and it just isn't right and then you have to leave it alone and come back to it a few days later and then sometimes you see it but it's just about you have to be really persistent to kind of it's it's kind of a um, it's kind of like having a block of marble where you keep chipping away until you get to what you want it's like your idea you have to keep chipping away to it i mean for me it's always a subtractive process like good design is usually from always for me about reduction yes always like i always tell people like the, the to me the sign of a, of a mature designer is knowing to let certain ideas go like i see things and i'm like this person is designing like they may die soon and they'll never get another chance to design something and they want to put every idea they've ever had into this. And I think as a mature designer, you have to know that's an idea for a different piece. There's one idea per piece, please. Right. Yeah, That's my motto. So it's editing, which I think is it's so... It's all I mean, about editing. Yeah, it's just such an incredible thing to keep... Um, rot not rotating, but just, it's just you just have to keep reminding yourself all yes. the time. You know, I mean... Um, a lot of times I like to bring in a lot of different things that we weren't even prepared for just to see because I'm trying to find that magical right. moment. But a lot of times most of that goes out too. Right. You know, yeah. you know when you have to give something up even though you may love it. You might love it's it. It's just not right. Yeah. And, and it's really, like I said, I think that's a sign of maturity in design is knowing when you have to do that. I think that's an excellent takeaway. So thank you for that. So we were talking about mid-century designers. Oh my gosh. And... Um, uh, or I did. I brought it up. But ha do you have any influences at all? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I think, Can you, you know, name a couple. Um, God, I, I mean, like Paul Kierholm, I, I oh. think I love because I think so many of his pieces are just just the just the fineness of what he does. It's just so much about a silhouette and about just very fine, fine profiles like for me, it's, you know, you mentioned earlier that our pieces are kind of visually light. I mean, that's very intentional. And it was a, a lot of it was a reaction to a lot of new furniture that's very chunky. Mm -hmm. And that's all about like this perceived sense of heft, which is usually not real. It's usually like, you know, something that's made to look like it's like building up a piece of marble to make it look like it's three inches thick, but it's just a, you know, three quarter inch material. It's about expressing the material thinness for what it is, expressing veneer as a veneer, not as like trying to make it look like a solid form, you know? So it's, it's really, I think... That's a really valuable point right there. Veneer as veneer yes. and not making someone believe that it's a thicker, bigger, solid right. piece of wood. One of the first things I ever did was to veneer, um, wood veneer on a half-inch aluminum where you really saw the, you saw the veneer skin on it. And I, that was trying to express that idea. That was a very one of the very first things I ever tried to do. We're just getting into it, and I could stick with this influence question for another hour, but uh, but we're going to come back to it when we get back. You're listening to At Home on talkradio.nyc. A chair is still a chair Even when there's no one Sitting there, but a chair is not a house, and a house is not a home when there's no one there to hold you tight, and no one there you can give. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. 
Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We are talking to David Corey, furniture designer and co-founder of KGBL Furniture. I just want to bring this up really quickly. I took me a while to remember KGBL, right? So you would have to go KGB. And then I told you that story once, and you said that you it was originally KGB. It was. And the government came to you, or what happened? You no. said you can't have this. What? What well, was? Our, what's our, that story? The name of the company was was we were being cheeky. It's Corey Guzman Bunce Limited. So we were like, oh my god, it spells KGB. That would be you know how cheeky of us. So when we went to sign the lease for our first um, space, there was a rider on the lease that we had to sign. You know, attesting that we were not connected to the Russian KGB, oh which God. didn't even exist at that point. So I don't really know what the what the point of that was. But the other part was that whenever we get, you know, Eastern European people coming in, they were not amused at all. Oh, no. In fact, they were like, do you know what that do you know what your name is spelling? We were like, yeah, yeah. And they were like, they were not happy oh, so, about it. Oh, I get it. So at a certain point, we just made it KGBL and it kind of it, it kind Softened of eliminated it, that okay. conversation. Oh yeah. my gosh, so funny. It's a good way to remember though, KGB. Right, right. right. I mean, you know, if you're on the internet trying to go, what's the name of that damn right. furniture company? It's KGB. <laughs> well, we thought it was cute, but it wasn't as cute as we thought. Well, in our new Russia world, maybe that's true. Exactly. We've posted some incredibly beautiful photos from the KGBL furniture on Instagram. So take a look and you can look at their website, which is now kgblnyc.com. Um, and uh, and that's the same throughout all of social media, right? It's always Correct. kgblnyc. So Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, all of that. Send your questions to me at david at davidthirgartnerinteriors.com. Put in the subject line at home, and we'll get to those um, in a few minutes. Um, I don't want to give up the influence question because I just think it's so valuable. I was trying to really look through. I mean, your furniture is remarkable to me. I've been fortunate enough to be able to use it in many different um, projects of mine. I'm very grateful for that. But I was going through my repertory. You know, I always say to people, Regency furniture from the English 18th century period was very contemporary. I mean, those lines are as... It's so modern. Right, it's so modern. It's just remarkable. And so I was like, is it... Does it have a Regency influence? No, no, no. You know, you immediately have to go into the French and you really can't find anything. And then, you know, you go into mid-century and I'm telling you, I just, it is, it is furniture that is really created from its time now. And it's, it's, uh, it, it doesn't seem to have a lot of influence to me. I think it's kind of, a, I mean, I always say it's kind Which of a mashup. Which is incredible to say in today's world. I, mean, I think where we, we came at it from, what are we going to add to the conversation? Like, I don't, you know, is it going to look like B&B Italia, which is beautiful, or, but it's not really there. B&B Italia is there for that. Is it going to look like mid-century? Is it going to look like, we were like, we need to have this look. It has to be something different or what's the point of doing it? And I think, honestly, it's just kind of a confluence of all the influences that we've all had over the years and you start to design and you realize that it's just kind of it is what it is i don't even know how to describe it i'm probably the the least qualified to describe well, what i'm gonna it make is. you though because that literally okay. that was my next question because i think we have a lot of people who are dashing to instagram or dashing to your website right. to try to understand it but in your words as the designer as sure. one of the designers try to describe to everybody how you what your how you see your own furniture I, I think that it definitely has a mid-century influence because people will sometimes ask us if it's if it's vintage. So there's apparently a lot of vintage influence, even though I, I have a hard time seeing it. I have a hard time seeing because it. Because it's forest for the trees kind of thing. But um, I also think that we all agreed that we wanted our pieces to have a visual lightness. And that has to do with, you know, like being in architecture and interior design, when you're placing furniture, what I always hated about was I hated about furniture that that sucked the space up that it was in, like a sofa that hits, right, that hits the floor and basically the floor disappears underneath it. I want to be able to read volumes around this furniture. So that was really important So the to negative us. space, we would say. It, yes. Theoretically. I didn't use that term, but that's a really good term for okay, it. Okay, yes. Yeah. 
So it's it's really about like furniture, which that, is a really hard lesson. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I think that it's one of those things that non professionals fall into a lot of times is that the room is like it becomes like a black hole of furniture. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is you want to read the architecture around the furniture and vice versa. So I think that was a lot of the of the genesis of the way we designed, you know, visual lightness. So I think that was, you know, really important to us. And then beyond that, I can't really quantify why we did. It was a lot of it was material based. I was going to say we need to talk about the materials yeah. and because that was really important to that's us. That's really so. We'll just set it up that not only are the materials just incredibly beautiful and nothing that we don't know. It's glass. It's metal. It's marble. It's stone. It's lacquer. They're all it's there. <laughs> it's all there. It's all stuff that we know, but it's it's used so differently. But it's not even that. It's the mixture of those, right? It's, right. It's it's the no, I should say it's the combination of those. Um, I tried to describe it a little bit in the opening. But so where did that come from? Where is the sense that you needed to, like the console that I described is this really heavy-weighted marble console, and you might describe it better, but it, it has almost a belly to it, right? It definitely does have a belly. It, it has a People belly. refer to it as the pregnant marble I, piece. I just didn't want to say that, but that's right. what it looks like. And then, so you can feel the weight of the marble. You can feel how heavy it is. And then it sits on this incredibly light form of metal right right and that makes this marble look like it's just suspend suspending in midair so where did that come from how did you know that you wanted to mix these different um materials together i i think for that piece in particular it started with figuring finding out that we could get heavy slabs of marble as opposed to the typical if you're in the industry you know that marble comes in two thicknesses 2cm and 3cm and And anything beyond that is like good luck so we that's three and a quarter and a quarter an inch and a quarter for everybody right so finding out that we could we could access large slabs of marble at any thickness we wanted the first thing i did was I was like, what am I going to do with this? And I, I don't know, I kind of hit upon this piece where all of the weight was hanging below it. And then I wanted to develop the lightest frame I could possibly think of to suspend it. And basically, none of them were heavy enough. They were all, it was all, it was like a 500, piece of, 500 pound piece of marble suspended by something that would have collapsed. So it took a long time to figure out something that was visually, that looked visually light, but was beefy enough to actually support this thing. But it was really about like, okay, how do I use this? You know, I mean, nothing is, you know, I think just generically heavier than a large chunk of marble, but use it in a way that conformed to our idea of visual lightness. So that was really all about it. And so for me, somehow doing that belly piece of marble where when you're approaching it, you, you know, you first think people usually think if it's if it's in a room. Um, and it's, it's not anywhere where you can have a, a, a vantage point from far away. They think they're looking at a three-quarter inch or a one-inch piece of marble, and then they realize that there's another six inches underneath it. It's kind of astounding to people, and I love that when people discover it. I mean, a lot of people have actually said, why is that there? And I don't have any answer for that. Like, why is it? Why, why, why is that thick? Yeah, why is it there? Why'd you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. It was just, I mean, if you have to ask, you're playing I guess, with the material. Yeah, but it's, it's a weird question to ask, but I don't even know how to answer it because it was very visceral when I did it. And, and, and then that's the point because it takes furniture and moves it into the art form. And that's, yes. And that, I think that piece exemplifies that incredibly, incredibly well, which is sort of this idea of sculptural lines and all of that. So do you, are you, are you drawing on white paper? Or are you using, you know, computer software? Are you using 3D? What, what mm-hmm. are you doing all of um, that? All of it. But I mean, usually I start with, you know, pencil sketch on trace. And then I usually go to AutoCAD and start to try to give it um, like real dimensions. And and then I go back to trace, I kind of back and forth to trace. And sometimes we do, um, I don't do, th- I don't do rendering software, but sometimes we have people render it. And a lot of times we just do a mock-up or, you know, or a maquette to kind of see what it looks like. And the other thing is, you know, what, what you need to understand is that, you know, we call it first pancakes. A lot of times your pieces just are not successful at first. And you have to do several iterations to get to something, especially with seating. Like it's, it just looks bad or it's really uncomfortable or you end up always, always the first piece 
oh my God, why didn't I do this? And then you want to do it over. So there's it's that process. I almost want you to repeat that. Just I'm gonna just go off the course here just for a second. I just think it's so important because in our today's world, in our world of design and building and the cost of renovation and furniture placement and building a home, it uh, the the need to rush. The need to get through it quickly has been this new phenomenon of the last, I would say, yeah. since the crash is over sort of thing. It's just like, oh, how long does this take? And why does this take so long? And why right. do I have to wait? And, you know, and the projects are da, da, da. But because it takes time. And you just well, exactly. said that. Right. You just said that we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to work through the process. We have this initial idea, but yes. we need to make it comfortable. Right. We need to make it sellable. Right. All of yeah. that sort of stuff. I just I just want yeah. to take that moment because we're forgetting about the process. And I'm so interested in process. And you basically described it well. Well, it's also like no matter how much you think you're covering all your bases, going from two dimensions to three dimensions. And I don't mean a 3D drawing is not three dimensions. That's still two dimensions. There is always something that you forgot or something that just doesn't feel right when you see the reality of what you've done. So there, I don't think there has ever been a case where I didn't want to tweak something at the very least after I saw it done. And that's just, that is just, I think the process and you know, it seems I don't, very much like an artist to me, right? I think it is. Isn't the hard part walking away? It's done. It is. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, and you know, usually by the time you've, you've made this thing a reality, you can't see it anymore because you're so, you know, you're so absorbed in the process. Like you can come back a year later and see like, wow, I actually like that. But it's really hard to do that in the moment because you, you know, you tend to, it's, it's really, I mean, anything that you've worked on that much, it's really hard. It's like seeing grammatical errors in something you've been working on, you know, a term paper. It's like you don't see them after a while because you see what you th- want to see and not what's actually there. So yeah. welcome you know. to my opening every week. Um, <laughs> Can you discuss um, your, you have an incredible workroom in Brooklyn and, um, and you have in today's world, some incredible craftsmen. Yes. How on earth and where on earth did you discover them? And how, you know, what was that part? What was the right. production part of all of that? Well, I mean, we, you know, when we started the business, we partnered our, our one partner, Christian had, a, he was a maker already and oh. he had a shop and, you know, he had kind of over the years found some people that that did good work but i think you know a lot of those people have moved on a, a lot of times the people that you know that are in our shop started out as like helpers and they just had an affinity or a yearning to do this and you know by observation they started to really learn it and they become really good at what they do unbelievable that's great and you've been able to keep them and and they become better craftsmen. So yeah, girl, and then right? they they leave. Someone else comes, or they stay. I mean, it's you know, it's it's ever changing. One of the problems that we have here at at home is that our time flies by, and I, I I wish I wish we could stay and talk for another hour. David, what a pleasure! Thank you for coming on tonight. Um, and will you hang out with me and let's see if we can take some questions from our listeners? Sounds good. This is at home and David and I, David and David, will be back <laughs> in two minutes. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com talking to David Corey, furniture designer, and we have some questions here. David, the first one's for you at Chris0122. I'm not sure what that means, but oh, all the <laughs> same. Um, it, I just picked up on your last question. David, when you modify or do you do custom sizes for people, are you happy with the modification um, when you do that? That's a that's great a question, question of scale and right. proportion and, um, and size. 99% of you, the Chris. time, um, we are asked very respectfully to give our best version of what they want. I mean, we deal mostly with design professionals, and they will almost always tell you, don't do anything, you know, resize it, but don't do anything that you think is going to make it not look good. So they always ask for our opinion, and we always, you know, do that. We, it's, you know, it's about proportion, of course, and like, you know, um, so it's really, it very rarely happens that someone wants to do something that's just like, horribly proportioned or you know missized. right we would you do it for them anyway i mean we would i mean it's not i mean it's not really I, i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna i mean if they i think want it, i don't I think guess. it's my my role to it's like you know all of our pieces are customers own material so people send you fabric that you may not like what are you going to do say i don't like your fabric you can't have this piece right you're talking about the upholstered pieces and yeah i mean at what point do you become the arbiter of taste <laughs> yeah. for everyone well, why you did know? you send me that that is absolutely yeah. awful you've never thought that with mice <laughs> oh no, no. god no Lord, um, no. but i can see like let's say the the marble console that we were talking about so much you know i mean there's there's only so much you can ask from that well, piece exactly and and then maybe yes. And I know that I always, I mean, most of us do custom sizes because we need to right. um, a lot of the time. But yeah, there's always, we're always a little bit weary about how far to take it, how, if the expression is still, um, if there, it's, if it still has integrity. Yes. Right. And I think that's important or, or why do that? Pick something else. Yeah, I think, but I think you have to be cognizant of New York City real estate too, and that people have, you know, people aren't living in giant apartments here, and a lot of times you have to downsize things for people, and it's just, you know, like I said, I don't want to be the final arbiter of taste for people. It's like you have to, you know, you have you have to live in the real world. So, this is from Taylor. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, your finishes seem so different than um, the other uh, showrooms and other furniture lines. Uh, is that purposeful? Yes. I mean, one of the first things we did was talk about one of our mantras, if, if I can be pretentious here, is that it's, we use traditional materials in modern ways. So one of the things we wanted to do was, again, as part of kind of reintroducing people to something that they think they know, is to use something that is you know that might be a very common material but use it in a way or do something to it that's new so that you see it in a different way so, so that, for instance so intentional. marble everybody's used to that right? right and you're using it in a totally different way right by using these really thick slabs of it you know you're doing things with it that you just don't see you know so it, it's you know rather than this three-quarter inch like slab thing or you know you're doing something that is you're looking at it as a three-dimensional piece as opposed to two-dimensional you know uh like a two-dimensional slab of it. And I think, Taylor, great question, because I think one of the most remarkable things in the piece that I tend to go back to all the time is, and I don't know the name of it, which I should, but is the slab glass or the cast right. glass it's called the coffee, coffee table. table. Yes. The Durand coffee table. And I've done that in custom sizes, yeah. too. So, you know, you can make it work in, in other formations. Right. But that cast glass is so exciting. Right. The, the it's actually not cast. It's uh, actually uh, an industrial material. Like I said, it's used to make telescope lenses. So what we loved about it is that it wasn't it wasn't an art glass. It is 
it's an industrial material. It's not meant to be pretty, but it just happens to be beautiful. And like I said, it's also, it's a glass, but it's organic, which just doesn't happen. Glass is so tectonic and very cold. And the idea that you have this glass that's so, that has such warmth to it was what really kind of compelled us to use it. And again, it's remarkable to look at. Um, there's some pictures on Instagram just to remind everybody, but it's on a frame um, that is, you know, because you look at the glass and you think that it's so heavy and it is, but you can also see through it. So, you right. know, there's that. But it's on this incredibly light metal frame. And it's, right, which it's, is it's, silicon bronze, which again is a material, it's casting bronze. It's not, I don't know of anyone else who uses it for furniture. Um, it has a really high copper content. It has almost like a rose gold appearance. We use it because, again, it is. It's a material that people know, but they don't know because it's a different version of it. So it's, you know, you're kind of hopefully, hopefully showing people something new. I think it's important as a part of your furniture, too, is that my, I remember distinctly that one of my clients totally fell in love with the glass. But I had to remind her or I had to make sure that she noticed how beautiful the metal structure, the frame was underneath it, right. too, because that was a part it's of it. It's meant to be kind of almost like a, a prong setting for a jewel. Uh, that almost, was meant, yeah, you know, yeah. very minimal. Very minimal, right? Yes. And that's what it looks like. Um, this is from Sheila. It's <laughs> David, what are you thinking about now? Oops, I guess that's not the right question. What kind <laughs> of new products are you thinking about? Oh, God, that's that's hard. I mean, there's usually like several things going on I mean, on I think they always think that artists are always have something in there. Right, I don't know. I don't want to disappoint anybody. Um, you know... It, it's a lot of times for me, it's kind of like a search for materials that will inspire me. Um, it's also like, you know, now, I mean, not to sound businessy, but you know, when, when you have a line of furniture, you're looking to fill gaps in the line. So you're looking to introduce pieces that you don't have types of pieces like a desk or a bed or something that, you know, you're, so you're looking, it's kind of like a new adventure to, to explore like designing a type that you, you don't need have. need it. It's almost exactly. like it's, inspiration. People are that, asking like, how come you don't have this you don't fill have in the blank? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're like, hmm, that's a great idea. So you start thinking about those kinds of things. So that's a lot of what I think about is kind of like, what are the new pieces? What are the new types we might be doing? Well, know? I mean, that's sort of, um, is that easy? For, I mean, is that, is that easy or hard, I guess? I I, it's add. kind of, I mean, the first part's easy. The second part is hard because you're like, <laughs> you don't just want to design a bed. You want to design a bed that people can't get elsewhere. Otherwise, what's the point of doing it? That's you right. know, if it looks like everyone else's bed, why bother? Which is your main mantra. Yes. It's always about like, do something that's different or don't do it. Right. Right, right. Uh, this is from Joe and Frank, and it says, is there uh, any kind of new material that you're interested in? Oh, um, I've been looking at a ceramic glass material um, that's it's, mm. it's an opaque white glass. Again, like it's a milk glass. Yes. And so it, I know that from Italy. Is that? This one this is from coming from Germany. Okay. Um, again, it's a structural material. Um, and I've it's used industrial. it as countertops. I've seen people do that, um, and this comes in different thicknesses. It also comes very thin. Um, I've been wanting to do a piece that has a super thin glass top, like an eighth of an inch, mm. um, That's which which I don't really see, and which would probably be pretty breakable, but I think it'd be really beautiful. Be. Um, but there's something about that. Glass is already so fragile, so doing glass that's that is you know inherently fragile and then doing something else that takes it to another level of fragility kind of is really compelling to me and i really would have been wanting to do that well if anybody can you can <laughs> the most breakable piece of furniture you can think of <laughs> um, i'm just thinking i'm sorry if i'm pausing because i'm thinking about how on earth would we even sell it right because you can't do that part or you'll never do it you, you know can't think about that's that what they work that's why the duran coffee table works so well because the thickness of the glass yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's if impervious. it's not about breaking it's about the children and it's about the grandchildren right. and it's about the party goer and, so this is know, for childless petless so couples <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Who never entertained anybody. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, but good luck. You'll figure it out. I'm almost positive <laughs> that your room. <laughs> this is from um, Tom. Just for the kids in the room. Nice. Um, tell us, how long possibly does it take to develop a sofa or any other kind of piece of furniture? Um, it, it can vary wildly. Sometimes you get an idea that you can develop in a day or two. Sometimes you spend months trying to get to something that's that you like. There's not any rule about it. Um, it's kind of good when you have a deadline where, you know, you have to do something because otherwise it can go on forever. But I, but I do really believe that at a certain point when you've gotten to something you like, you know it and you know when to stop. And, and that's, 
thank God for that because otherwise you would go on forever. Yeah, that's a there's that's an important part of the design process. Yeah, you have to know when you've arrived. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Um, this is my question to you about almost that same question, but what is the relationship of the three of you? Not personal relationship, but creative relationship. Yeah, I mean, we've always all designed and we don't really design together. What we do usually is everyone... When we're when we're looking to design new pieces, someone will say, "Okay, I'll we, we need to design another bar stool. We need to design this, or I have a material that I want to work with." Um, we'll each go off and design separately, and then when we get to something that's pretty well formed, we'll meet and kind of vet the design and you know critique it. But I think it's really important that you don't design by committee because I think that anything designed by committee just doesn't work, period. It, it just does not work. It does not. You know, I always say in the first paragraph of uh, Interior Design 101, that first class you take, it's the first paragraph says, do not ever do a country club <laughs> or a uh, foyer to a, you know, a hotel. Oh, or you so have to deal with a with the, you, right. No, no committees. <laughs> <laughs> no committee said all. David, it's been an incredible pleasure, and I, I can't thank you enough. And well, I'm thank just you, so David. thrilled to have the opportunity um, to talk to you. It was fun. You. It was yeah. a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, right? I don't know. There's a second part in here somewhere. Um, but thank you. Um, and I want to thank everybody here at talkradio.nyc, Schoolhouse, number six productions. I couldn't do it without you, and I wouldn't want to try. Benjamin Keegan for my music. And remember to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at home with DTI and take a look at my website, DavidThiergartnerInteriors.com. Join me next week as we talk to Evan Lobel, the owner of Lobel Modern. Evan is a mid-century expert and historian, and he is absolutely, um, what a fascinating career he has had. I've known him for God, 25, 30 years at this point, if he's that old. Stay tuned for the Noreen Sumter Show, Beyond Potential. Live life your way. And until next week on the radio, remember the best designs for your life start at home. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network, 